As we continue our uh, consideration of the truths of God's Word as they're summarized in our confession of faith, we're going to look at the first portion, about the first two-thirds of Article 35 on the Lord's Supper. But first I'd like to read with you from the Gospel of John, starting in verse 35. Now the background to this is that Jesus had been ministering to his disciples in a, uh, a wilderness place. This is by the Sea of Galilee. He had, they had taken boats across the, the top, the northernmost part of the Sea of Galilee, going to a, uh, a private place where he could speak with the disciples away from the crowds, but the crowds, seeing him depart, followed on the shore. And they ended up in this wilderness place, and he taught them. He received them uh, gladly. But after quite a while of his teaching, uh, they were hungry. And there was nowhere nearby to find food. And so Jesus multiplied the few loaves and the, the few fish that they had and fed this great crowd. Well, then in the night, his disciples he sent across the sea by boat while he remained behind to pray. And then he joined them walking across the sea. And, uh, and they ended up back in Capernaum. The crowds saw that he had departed. They went back to Capernaum and they found him. And they were eager to see him again. But he knew why. It wasn't that they were necessarily hungry for his teaching. They were hungry for another miracle. Hungry for more free food. And so starting in verse 35 of John 6, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Amen. Now our confession, summarizing the teaching of this passage and many others, says we believe and confess that our Savior, Jesus Christ, did ordain and institute the sacrament of the Holy Supper to nourish and support those whom he has already regenerated and incorporated into his family, which is the church. Now those who are regenerated have in them a twofold life. The one corporal and temporal, which they have from the first birth and is common to all men. The other, spiritual and heavenly, which is given them in the second birth, which is affected by the word of the gospel in the communion of the body of Christ. And this life is not common, but is peculiar to God's elect. In like manner, God has given us for the support of the body and bodily and earthly life, earthly and common bread, which is subservient thereto and common to all men, even as life itself. But for the support of the spiritual and heavenly life which believers have, he has sent a living bread which descended from heaven, namely Jesus Christ, who nourishes and strengthens the spiritual life of believers when they eat him, that is to say, when they appropriate and receive him by faith in the spirit, in order that he might represent unto us this spiritual and heavenly bread, Christ has instituted an earthly and visible bread as a sacrament of his body, and wine as a sacrament of his blood, to testify by them unto us, that as certainly as we receive and hold this sacrament in our hands, and eat and drink the same with our mouths, by which our life is afterward nourished, we also do as certainly receive by faith, which is the hand and mouth of our soul, the true body and blood of Christ, our only Savior in our souls, for the support of our spiritual life. Now, as it is certain and beyond all doubt that Jesus Christ has not enjoined unto us the use of his sacraments in vain, so he works in us all that he represents to us by these holy signs. So though the manner surpasses our understanding and cannot be comprehended by us, as the operations of the Holy Spirit are hidden and incomprehensible, not understandable. In the meantime, we are not when we say that what is eaten and drunk by us is the proper and natural body and the proper blood of Christ. But the manner of our partaking of the same is not by the mouth, but by the Spirit through faith. Thus then, though Christ always sits at the right hand of his Father in the heavens, yet does he not therefore cease to make us partakers of himself by faith. This feast is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself with all his benefits to us and gives us there to enjoy both himself and all the merits of his sufferings and death, nourishing, strengthening, and comforting our poor, comfortless souls by the eating of his flesh, quickening and refreshing them by the drinking of his blood. Further, though the sacraments are connected with the things signified, nevertheless both are not received by all men. The ungodly indeed receives the sacrament to his condemnation, but he does not receive the truth of the sacrament, even as Judas and Simon the sorcerer both indeed received the sacrament, but not Christ who was signified by it, of whom believers only are made partakers. Beloved disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
in its early years, the church was deeply misunderstood and even feared by the people around it. Rumors concerning what these Christians did in their secret meetings abounded. They claimed that they sacrificed their children. They claimed that they were cannibals. Now some of that was fear-mongering and disinformation by the purveyors of false religion. But believe it or not, some of it came from them listening to Christians and watching them from the outside. It's been said that a little knowledge is dangerous. What they saw was people taking their babies down to the river and dunking them under the water. They thought they were killing them, when in fact they were merely baptizing them. They heard Christians talking in hushed tones about eating the body and drinking the blood, and they thought these people are absolutely cannibals. But they were merely talking about the Lord's Supper. You see, the the worship in which we engage is deeply strange to those who are not familiar with it. It's hard for us to grasp that because we grew up in a culture where church was normal, especially in this region where there's a church on every corner, where the language of the church, even the language of Scripture, has been kind of common currency. But that's changing. Increasingly, people don't know what Christians believe or what they do. Increasingly, the language of the church is foreign to our neighbors. I'll never forget being dumbfounded. In the first church I served, we were in a town of 650. It was a a tiny little town. And uh, a couple of the neighborhood kids taken to playing with one of my sons. And uh, one day I happened to be running some errands within the building and, and I saw one of the boys staring in the back window. He was maybe six years old, so I opened the door and said, uh, Ethan, what, what can I do for you, man? He said, nothing, I was just looking. I said, well, that's okay. I said, you want to come in? Have you ever been in the church? No. I said, well, you're welcome to come in and look around. So he did. And he wide-eyed said, what do you do here? I said, what do we do? We worship. We worship God. Have you, Ethan, have you not been in a church? He shook his head. He'd never been, six years old, he'd never been in a church. Had no idea. When I described to him what worship is and what we do there and what that involves, it was like I was speaking a foreign language to him. He was amazed. But he had no context for it at all. Folks, increasingly, we are going to encounter that all around us. We're going to encounter that among our co-workers, among our neighbors. And we need to be able to explain it. Certainly, we need to be able to explain it to our children. But we need to be able to explain it to newcomers. So that they understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. Because if we don't, They will have deep misunderstandings about what we do. They will be offended by what we do. And they will look at it very superstitiously. 
It's to prevent that superstition, which, by the way, is, is a big part of what went wrong in the Middle Ages in the church. A superstition based on ignorance. It was to avoid that that our forefathers wrote this article in the Confession of Faith. So that we could understand concerning the Lord's Supper what it is we do and what we don't. And how we do it and what we can expect from it. And so this morning we're going to consider how God gave this sacrament as a means of nourishing believers. Not just nourishing our bodies, but nourishing our souls. So that's our theme this morning. We confess that God ordained the Lord's Supper to nourish Believers, And the first thing we need to consider is how this spiritual meal gives us life, feeds our life. So we're going to consider, first of all, the spiritual life this meal feeds. Because when used rightly, the Lord's Supper does provide nourishment for those who partake. In our reading from John 6, Jesus was quite clear about the reality of the nourishment that He gives us. He spoke about our need. For the bread of life. In verse 50, he spoke of how we need the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. And he said this nourishment is, verse 56, true food and true drink. That's what God's people need. But not everyone is able to rightly use the Lord's Supper in order to obtain that true food and true drink that nourishes us unto life. Our confession explains right at the start that this sacrament was ordained to nourish and support those whom he has already regenerated and incorporated into his family, which is the church. What does that mean, to be regenerated? Kids, that's a big word we don't use too often, right? When we talk about generating something, we're talking about bringing something forth. That's our birth. We all have been generated. We've all been brought to life. Regeneration means being brought to life again. Or more fully. And that's what we receive when we come to Christ by faith. When we're saved. Right? So those who are regenerated are those who have faith in Jesus. They have that spiritual life that has reconciled us to God. That's not something we're able to do for ourselves. Regeneration is a gift entirely from God. It's a work that He begins in our hearts. Turning hearts of stone to hearts of flesh giving us a desire for something more. We saw in uh, Ephesians 2 how we begin dead. Every one of us. Dead in our sin. Uninterested in the things of God. We're His enemies. But, 1 Peter 1 verse 23 says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. And this word is the good news that is preached to you by means of the work in, his, in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the gospel. The Lord shows us our need and He begins imparting faith. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 says, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. As long as we live by our own strength, the gospel is folly. It's empty. It means nothing to us. In fact, it's hateful. But as soon as the Lord starts working in our hearts by His Spirit, we see in that gospel life. We see in that gospel something strong and amazing that we need. 
And so God gives us the faith to take hold of Jesus. And we, we are regenerated. We are given new life. The question is, for whom does God do that? It's not something He gives randomly as though He drew names out of a hat, nor does He give it universally to everyone. God sends His regenerating power to those whom He chose from before the start of time, whom we call the elect. These are the men and women whom God chose for His own reason to deliver out of their sin. Sending Jesus to do everything necessary to accomplish that. Speaking of those whom God chose for himself, Jesus said in John 6 verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And again in verse 44, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So that means that everyone whom God chose will come to Jesus. Not one of the elect will fail to hear the gospel and respond. Not one of the elect will fail to have faith in Jesus. And having been regenerated, they have in them a twofold life, says our confession. You understand what that means, young people? We share, Christians share with everyone, physical life. The blood pumps through our veins just as it does through the veins of an unbeliever. We require air to breathe and nourishment to strengthen us just as does a Muslim or a Hindu. But we also have a second kind of life which belongs only to Christians, belongs only to those regenerated. That's the life of the soul, the life we receive by the Spirit through faith in Christ. None but the elect have that second life. Everyone else is spiritually dead in their sin, in their alienation from God. That's how we were born, but God saved us from that and gave us this second kind of life. And it's that spiritual life, that life of the soul, that life in communion with Christ that is nourished by the Lord's Supper. We see that in the way Jesus speaks in John 6 of a life nourished by His flesh and blood. He calls it a life that He gives, verse 57, and he tells us in verse 53 that unless you partake of him, you have no life in you. He's not talking about the physical life. He's talking about the spiritual life. But how do we partake of that nourishment for our spiritual life? That's the thing we need to ask. And so the second point that we need to consider is the spiritual mouth this meal fills. The Lord's Supper feeds our spiritual life, but in what way? We need to remember the Lord's Supper is a sacrament. Kids, you remember what we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about the sacraments? We said that they're a sign and a seal, right? A sign is something that teaches us a lesson. It shows us visibly something that we need to know. And a seal is something that gives us assurance. It allows us to be confident, or helps us to be confident of those truths that we believe. Now, that means the sacrament, being a sign and a seal, it's not the thing which it portrays. That's where the Catholics, the Catholic Church got in trouble back in the Middle Ages, thinking that the sacrament was, was, was the same as that which it signified. So they would look at the bread of the Lord's Supper and say, boy, that... That looks like bread, tastes like bread, but, but it's really the flesh of Jesus. 
And they would look at the wine and they could see that it, it looked, it smelled, it even had the, the properties of wine, but, but it's really blood. They erred by confusing the sacrament with, with the thing which it signifies. We need to understand that's not the case. The bread of the Lord's Supper is a sacrament of Jesus' body. It's not literal flesh, but it's a symbol of the flesh of Jesus that teaches us and gives us assurance. The wine is not blood, it's wine. But it teaches us and it gives us assurance concerning the blood of Jesus. Now knowing that still hasn't answered the question of how we partake. But it's something essential for us to understand if we're to partake aright. Because if we think that the bread becomes flesh, then we'll think that all we need to do to be nourished by it is to eat. All we need to do to be joined to Jesus is to drink. But if it's a sacrament, if it represents but is not the reality itself, then we need to partake in a different way, not with the mouth, but with our faith. We partake by faith. That's the mouth of the soul. Everyone has faith in something, don't they? Many people, especially today, have faith only in themselves. What they can understand, what they can accomplish, what they can endure. Others have faith in the material world. If they can touch it, taste it, feel it, it's real. If they can't, it's not. Still others have faith in their mind, in their imagination. They believe that if they believe something... If they think something is true, that makes it true. That creates the reality. Now all of those are some things in which people have faith. And all of those things will fail them. All of those faiths are false. God calls us to a better faith. A faith that rests on what truly is real. And He gave the Lord's Supper as a means of strengthening that faith. If we're to benefit from the Lord's Supper then, as we partake physically of the sacramental meal, of the bread and the wine, we must partake spiritually at the same time by faith. We heard Jesus say in, in John 6, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then in verse 40, This is the will of the Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. It is by faith in Jesus, believing in Him, trusting in Him, that we have life and that our life is strengthened. That means that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, as you, as you look upon and take up that bread, the Lord wants us to remember His physical body and all that He did. How He was broken in the suffering that led up to and in the suffering that comprised the cross. How He did that in order to forgive our sins. How that is what reconciles us to God. He wants us to remember that and to believe that it's just as real. His suffering, His death, and the effectiveness of it are just as real as that bread that we see broken. That bread that we can touch and squeeze and feel and even taste. And when we look at the wine and we see it poured out, we need to remember how Jesus' blood was poured out as a sacrifice for our sin to cleanse us from the, the filth and the defilement that our sins earned. And we need to believe that just 
as real as that wine is, which we can taste, which we can feel on our tongues, which burns just a little bit going down, just as real as that wine is and its effects, that's how real, that's how trustworthy Jesus' sacrifice for us is. That's why Jesus spoke as He did when He instituted the sacrament. Matthew 26, He says, Take and eat, this is My body. And then as He poured the wine, He said, This is My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He spoke as though the sacramental elements were what they represented, because He wanted us to have no doubt. Just as real as this bread is, just as true as this wine is, that's how real and how effective my sacrifice is for you. We need that reminder. We need that assurance because the tempter is always working. Sure, some guy named Jesus died. Sure, some criminal was hanged on the cross, but... Really? He was sinless? Really? His death 2,000 years ago is effective for you? And if that doesn't work, then the temporal change tax. Well, maybe he died for some people, but not the likes of you. I mean, come on. You know the kind of thoughts that you entertain. You know the hypocrite you are. Surely he didn't do it for you. He didn't do it for the likes of you. And Jesus says... Take, eat, remember and believe. This is my body given for you. This is my blood of the covenant poured out for many, for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. As you partake of the sacrament, you need to partake truly, not just physically taking the bread and the wine, but believing what Jesus said. No one who comes to me will I ever cast out. Because the only way you could come is by the Father drawing. And as we take that bread, as we take that wine and we trust in Jesus, He will nourish us. He will strengthen us. He will deepen our faith. And not just you adults, also you children. We're going to consider next week why only the adults partake of the Lord's Supper. But you kids need to know that even though you're not physically partaking and shouldn't yet, you can still benefit from the Lord's Supper. Because you see the bread broken. You see the wine poured out. And you are called also to believe that's what Jesus did for me. And it's just as effective for me. If you believe that, if you, if you look on the sacrament with faith, you too will be nourished. Now there's a different kind of nourishment when we physically partake. It's deeper but you too can grow in your faith. You too can be strengthened by the sacrament. Well, that leaves one thing to consider for us. We've seen the, the spiritual life this meal feeds, and the spiritual mouth this meal fills. But the last thing we need to see is the spiritual blessing the meal conveys, and we've begun to touch on that. See, when we eat a physical meal, you know, the, the meal that you'll eat in 
an hour and a half, two hours. We understand how that nourishes our bodies, right? You, you take that food, you cut it into pieces on your plate, and you chew it. You put it in your mouth and you chew it. That breaks it down into smaller pieces. Then you swallow it, and it gets broken down into more and more small pieces. And the, the body begins drawing the, the, uh, the nutrients out of that food in your stomach, in your intestines. And those nutrients are absorbed into your bloodstream from which it's distributed all over your body. Your muscles are strengthened by those nutrients. Your cells are empowered to divide and to grow and to do their work. Other parts of those nutrients are stored up for use at a later time. In other words, the, the blessing of a physical meal is physical a physical blessing. It's a strengthening of your body. But with the Lord's Supper, what we receive is not in its essence a physical blessing. It's a spiritual blessing. Our confession says this feast is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates Himself and all His benefits to us and gives us there to enjoy both Himself and the merits of His suffering and death. That's a mouthful, but we can really break it down into two pieces. First of all, we're blessed by the Holy Spirit in that Christ communicates Himself to us with all His benefits. The Bible tells us that by faith we are joined to Jesus. That means that when we trust in Him, His death for sin pays for our sin, pays for our rebellion. The righteousness and the holiness of His absolutely perfect life, that's attributed to us in God's sight. His power to reject sin. His authority to rule and to command. Those are attributed to us. His standing before God as the beloved son. That too is given to us. So that God looks on us as his sons and daughters. That union with Jesus is what we receive through faith in him. And as we partake in the Lord's Supper, he strengthens that faith and thereby that union. Remember what we heard him say in John 6 verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. We are in him, joined to him by faith. And through the Lord's Supper, as our faith is strengthened, so too is our union with Christ. And that means, secondly, by the Lord's Supper, God enables us to enjoy Jesus' benefits more fully. As our union grows stronger through a stronger faith, we gain more ability to, to recognize and to benefit from his blessings. Consider what he said in John 6 to the crowd. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What is it to hunger and thirst? It's to want something more, to recognize a need, right? When we first encountered Christ, you might have known him, known of him all your life, but when you first began to really know him, you hungered for something you lacked. You felt this emptiness, this something missing that only Christ could fill. But as our faith grows, as our faith grows, we come to recognize and to revel in the fact that we have exactly what we need. We start to realize that, you know, if you took away all of my money, all of my possessions, all of my friends, 
even my physical life, I'd still have what I need. Because I have Christ. I have been filled in Christ. I have been strengthened in Christ. I have been provided with everything necessary in Christ. All the rest is disposable. That's not to say it's not important. We love our family. We delight in our work. That's all good. Those are good gifts that God's given us. But what really matters, that for which we most hunger, we find in Christ and in Him alone. And the the Lord's Supper strengthens that recognition in us. Strengthens our recognition that the thing we need the most is Christ Himself. Truly, truly I say to you, says Jesus, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the living bread who came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, we understand that more and more fully. That He gave exactly what we need. That in Him, we have what no one else can give. And what no one can ever snatch away. This, He said, is the will of Him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that He has given me. But raise it up at the last day. And we are what God has given Him. We are what the Father has entrusted to Him. And He will never lose us. He will never be duped into losing even one of His people to the evil one. That means we can stand with utter confidence. We can stand with absolute assurance that we belong to Christ and no one can snatch us away. How wonderful that is. And that, that's the assurance. That's the comfort. That's what we are strengthened in Through the Lord's Supper. That assurance, that knowledge that we have in Him all that we need and that no one can snatch us away. And so we go forth from the Supper. You know how when you you have a good breakfast? I don't don't usually eat breakfast. Friday morning, first Friday of of the month, I eat breakfast. Uh, when, When the men's group gathers for study. And it's neat. Fortify yourself with some eggs, bacon, maybe a little more bacon. And you just feel ready to start the day, right? You feel ready to to go. You get some coffee and, and you're just ready to accomplish things. That's what the Lord's Supper does for us. It fortifies not just the body, but the soul. It reminds us of who we are and how firmly we are held in that new identity in Christ. And so it sends us forth with eagerness to serve Him, to live for Him, to display Him to all the world. Brothers and sisters, we need the encouragement, the strengthening, the nourishment that Christ gives us in the supper as we receive it by faith. It's a nourishment we get nowhere else, in no other way. So let us remember that as we prepare to partake. Recognizing that it's not just a reminder of what Jesus did. It's not just a disposable object lesson. No, it has been ordained by the Father to nourish believers. And so we need to partake with a living faith. Expecting that God will bless us, that God will nurture us through this supper. And He will. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You loved us enough to give us exactly what we need.
You gave us your Son, so that in Him we might have life eternal. And then you gave us the sacraments, so that our faith in Him might be strengthened. Grant that we might use the Lord's Supper aright, in a manner that will strengthen and bless us, and cause us to draw uh, ever closer to you. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to cause us to delight in you and in living for you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.